Any uh, working parents uh, happy that school vacation week is now over? Is that, am I the only? A few of us, right? Like, oh, praise God, they're going back to school. It's great. All right. Uh, hey, we want to take a quick second. If you're in, if you are in the, if you're a military vet, uh, if you've been in the military, served in the military, uh, would you mind uh, standing so we can just thank you? Do we have any vets? Thank you. Before, uh, before we start, I just want to uh, pray, and because uh, there's a lot that we can find disagreement on in the world, but I pray that when we come here, we can praise God for Jesus and praise God for those that have protected our freedom to praise God for Jesus. So uh, let's pray. God, thank you for those that have served, Father, those that are serving. Uh, Father, thank you that we have the freedom uh, to meet uh, in a school of all places. Father, to declare your name. Father, as we just sang, to declare you from the rooftops. Father, there's a freedom in that. And so I thank you that we have that ability, that we get to do that. Uh, in your name, Jesus, amen. When we were uh, starting uh, this church, uh, I met with some of the local, uh, local pastors. And uh, one, one meeting in particular, the pastor started off uh, by saying, I need to apologize to you. I was like, well, we kind of just met, so I don't really know what's going on. And uh, he's like, well, I saw you know, your opening day on YouTube, and uh, I've been hearing about what's going on at your church, and I'm older, and I have to confess to you that I have hostility and jealousy, and he used the word envy, towards you and what's going on. And I had to sit back and realize, if you're going to bring more people into the kingdom of God, that I need to celebrate that. And so he started our meeting off by apologizing for what could cause disunity, for what could divide the church at large. And I really, really respected this man that started off by saying, if you're going to reach people for Jesus and preach Jesus, go for it. And it's really cool to see that throughout Tom's River, many of the churches have been very supportive. We have good relationship with them. We prayed this past Thursday that all the churches in Tom's River would double in size. Because isn't that like a good thing? Like if, if we double in size, if other churches double in size and more people come to know Jesus, we can celebrate that. I don't care where you go to church, if the church is preaching Jesus, we celebrate that. And so this pastor started off by saying, I struggle with envy, I struggle with jealousy, and he apologized, and it's been a great relationship with him. Now envy, jealousy, that's hatred. That's, that's wanting what somebody else is ha has so much that it, it stirs up these emotions, this anger in you. Now, that might not be something that we typically think of that we, we struggle with. Again, like you're, you, don't, you don't go to your wife and just being like, I really struggle with envy. It's not a word we use too much. But here, here's how it can play out. We can find a, so, uh, a socially acceptable ways to have envy play out for us. So you could take the, the butt approach. Well, that person's doing an excellent job. But did you know, <laughs> she's brilliant, but did you know this? We take the butt approach, or we do the, the great or a reversal, right, where, where this person is doing a great job, but instead, in my mind, I'm going to acknowledge the great job, but I'm going to start questioning the motives. Well, why are they doing such a great job? Are they coming after my job? What are they doing? Why, why are they excelling all of a sudden? And, and we start to get jealous in that. Or they gave a generous gift to the church. They must, have been, they must have had a sinful weekend. Now they're giving a big gift to cover. Like, that ain't our church, no. Or we do the unfavorable comparison where we, we degrade what is good out of, out of a sense of envy. Well, they sang really well on stage, but did you catch the one note they missed? Oh, that was awful, wasn't it? 
uh, we're, okay, we maybe have done that. Or that person, that's a really nice new car. Too bad Consumer Reports says it's a piece of junk. Like we, we struggle with envy, and it can, it can play out in many different ways. It's been throughout the Bible. See, when King David is, is coming onto the scene, King Saul, the current king, was jealous and had envy and sought to kill David. It was envy that led David to, to the wilderness. Joseph of the Old Testament, who, who had this coat, he was loved by his father. His other brothers were jealous and envious of that. And what, did it, what happened for Joseph? Envy drove him into slavery. His brothers sold him into slavery. Because, of they, because they were envy. It was envy that put Jesus on the cross. Jealous of his power, jealous of his fame, and the religious leaders would eventually put him on the cross. So we're going to look at James 4, 1 through 10 today, and we're going to see how to handle this deadly disease. It says this in the first few verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you, do, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we have this disease, we have this disease where, where we want what other people have, and it, and it leads to quarreling. Now again, that's kind of a churchy world, word, is it not? Like you, the last time you went to someone and said, I'm really struggling, I've been, I've been quarreling with some people. Like it's not typically a word we use, I get that. And, but in the Greek, you know what this word means? It means fighting without weapons. That, that we don't have like a spear or a gun or an axe or something like that, but we're, but we're fighting. There's conflict. It's anger. It's, it's slander. It's jealousy. It rages war. It's our selfish ambition. That's how we quarrel and fight. We, we want what somebody else has. Somebody else, somebody, we want what somebody else has to the point where it affects our relationships. We fight to get our way. See, if we, if we, when a bunch of selfish people get together, of course there's going to be conflict at some point. Conflict will arise and we all want to claw and get our way to the top. And what does James say? Where does this come from? It comes from my own simple being. It comes from my own depravity. It comes from within. And what I find so interesting is James goes to one of the most unlikely places to pull out envy. Prayer. When was the last time that you thought ill of somebody, and before confronting them, you stopped to pray? Ah, she's such a great singer. But I need to confront her about something. Did you stop and ask God first before confronting them? That person that got the promotion, and now you, you see that they're doing something just a little bit wrong, and you want to go in and make sure that they know it. Did you stop, and did you pray? Why not? Perhaps it's because when James knows that if, if we're struggling with this, with this inner jealousy, this inner envy, that, yeah, we probably won't go to prayer because when we go to prayer, God's going to show us how silly we are for asking these things. Are we going to ask God for the motivation and, and, the, and, the, and the, um, the, the love for a person? Are we asking with the right motives? He, he brings that all out, and, he, and so prayer is a natural place that would, would destroy our sense of jealousy, destroy our sense of envy, and that, that we would want to strengthen our relationships instead of ruining them. Because if we're envious of each other, where does that come from? Again, our own depravity, that we're trying to be friends with the world. 
We're trying to find this middle ground where we can, where we can have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I, I've said this, uh, this before, where I, as a youth pastor, I used to get people asking all the time, all, this, all the youth, these sexually deviant youth, and, uh, and they would ask me, uh, Jason, how far is too far? I just started dating this girl, and uh, Jason, how far is too far? And I've mentioned this before, and so they would, they would be asking, Jason, I, I want to ride the fence. Have you heard people talk about, like, riding the fence? And, and they want, I stole this from outside, if anybody, I'm sorry. I'll return it, I promise. It was on the ground. And uh, so they, they want to ride the fence. I, Jason, I want to I appear to be super Christian. I want to I honor God. But, Jason, here's my question. I want to know how far is too far because I want one foot in the world to do as much as I can sinfully. You know what their question is, isn't when they're over here thinking about God? Their question isn't, Jason, how holy can I be? How can I best honor God in my relationship? And so he, he goes into this language where, where you're, you're, you're envious, you're clawing, you're fighting, and, and, he, and, he, and he says you're trying to find this middle ground. You're trying to be friend with God and friend with the world. And what does he say? You're adulterers. That's strong language, is it not? But isn't that what we're doing, isn't, isn't that a form of adultery when we say, God, you're my God. This is the primary relationship, but I'm going to make a God out of my girlfriend or my boyfriend. God, I, I have this as, as a major in school, and I've been, I've been working through this adulting series, and God, I know that you're calling me into ministry, but God, I want the money. I want to strive after the fame. I want to strive after the money, so I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to ignore that calling and pursue this. Isn't, isn't that a form of, of adultery? And wouldn't, shouldn't that make people heated? The married couples in the room to think of that. Doesn't that make one heated? God would get angry if we're trying to, to find the middle ground. I cannot go to my wife and say, I'm just trying to find middle ground here. She knows how to skin a deer. She's done it. She grew up in West Virginia. I have the fear of God, and part of the fear of God is the fear that I'll wind up skinned. See, at the end of the day, though, I do want my wife to be mad at the thought that I would try to play both sides. I don't want her to be flippant. I don't want her to be like, oh, you do you. Like, that shows she doesn't really care about me. So for God to look at his people and say, stop the adultery. Stop playing both sides of the world. You know what that means is that he has a relationship with us. Adulterous people, you can't be an adulterer if you don't have the relationship. You can't be an adulterer to my wife. You don't have that relationship. So God looks at you and he says, you're mine. Stop finding this middle ground. Stop trying to do both sides. You're mine. Stop riding the fence. That's, this is what he says in, in the book of Revelation. You, you stop being lukewarm. Either be hot or be cold. But in this middle, know what you're doing? You're destroying the mission. Our mission is this, to ignite a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community. And if we love the community, if we're declaring the name of Jesus, what happens when we come in here and we say, we love Jesus, we're going to love the community, and then that's here, and then we're over here, and we're fighting amongst ourselves. I had it happen this morning at Wawa. I'm buying coffee for our volunteers, and I hear two ladies talking behind the counter, and here's the phrase, and they call themselves a Christian. I don't know the story. I didn't hear that part, but haven't we all heard that said? And they call themselves a Christian. 
I would, I would die on the inside if somebody walked in here and see us playing both sides and all of a sudden, oh, that church calls themselves Christians? Oh, that would kill me. Because as we play both sides of the fence, we're a fake over here and we're a fake over here. We're a fake in both worlds. And it destroys our mission because it makes our, our mission just worthless. So James says, stop being trying to be friends with the world. Stop having an affair. Stop, stop the adultery. Love me. So before you, you fight, before you complain, have you gone to God in prayer? How much of, uh, how much of prayer would, it, would it help us stay, stay on mission? Is it time now that we've diagnosed that evil comes from within us, the fighting, the jealousy that, that comes from within? We've diagnosed the issue. Now we need to look at, at the prescription. James says, here's what you need to do. Two little verses. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he earns jeal- yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. So he carries off this adultery thing where he's like, I'm jealous for my people. I'm thankful that he's jealous for us like we were saying. I want him to want me. Isn't that a good thing? I know my sinful being and he desires a relationship with me. And what James is saying now, he says, you want to know how to handle the conflict? Be humble. Let the spirit have control. Give give the spirit control. Give him your will. Take your selfishness and and turn it over to Jesus. We'll have a hard time being selfish if we're turning things over to Jesus. Because when you turn it over to Jesus, he gives us abundantly a sense of humility. So are you proud? God opposes you. Are you humble? God's going to give you all the grace in the world. This world is seductive, is it not? This world has all these things that we would look at as gods, whether it's women, whether it's men, whether it's relationships, whether it's the drugs, whether it's whatever. They're all cheap uh, imitations of God. But we need to seek after the one who is able to give us and fill us with humility. So do you want to overcome evil desires? Here's a simple prescription. Turn everything over to Jesus. Turn your pride and give it over to Jesus. I had, uh, here's how this can play out in a relationship. When I, uh, when I was in high school, I mentioned this last week, and I was kind of finding my own way for a little bit, uh, not living such the Christian life. I, uh, I, got invited, I got invited to a party, and I went. And, uh, and long story short, my, I was a terrible liar, and my mom found out and came into the party and ripped me out. And... Uh, Mildly embarrassing, and uh, and so I was there, and blah blah blah. I had about like a two percent stake in this party. I did absolutely nothing. I just kind of showed up, but uh, but a- after you know got caught and all that stuff, my dad and I were kind of having a man to man talk, and uh, he, I just laid out my heart uh, that you know reality TV tell all that en- that episode. I had to tell all with my dad, and uh, and did that, and uh, he's like, dude, I don't care if you're two percent wrong. You're gonna own that two percent. I don't care if if they're all wrong, and you're just mildly wrong, you're, you need to be a man now and, and own that and own your wrong. And, uh, and he would reference that conversation later on in my life, and that has always stuck with me with, when it comes to humility and relationships. Because I've had to go before people and say, you're a giant jerk. I, didn't, I don't say that because that would <laughs> ruin my point. But in my mind, I know the situation is something where they're 
99% wrong. They are attacking me, but I said one off-color thing. I'm 1% wrong. And in humility, I have to ignore their 99 and own my 1%. I'm thankful God gives humility. That takes a humble man, a humble person, a humble woman to go before somebody that's been a complete jerk and say, I let one off-color thing go. I need to own that because before God, all sin is sin. All sin is wrong. Whether it's 99% of it or 1%, I need to own that. And so that has, that has stuck with me. And I, and I think that, again, takes a sense of humility for us to grow in certain areas. See, in, in pride, we feel like we don't need God. But humility says, I need God in all areas. In our pride, we, we walk out of a Sunday saying, well, somebody else has room to grow. Somebody else needs to hear that sermon. But in humility, we leave every Sunday looking for a way to apply truth, saying, I need to hear that as well. In, in our pride, we, we think everybody else needs to endlessly grow in their relationship with Jesus. In our humility, we know that endless growth applies to us, that every day we're growing to be more and more like Jesus. I, have, I want to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday and, and continue that on. That's part of the adulting process is growing up in our faith. In our pride, we, we're content with small sins. Isn't that a form of pride? Where, we're, where we, look, we turn on the TV and like a mass shooting or a murderer or, or this, this sexual deviant or this, that, and we look at all these things, and my small sins, they don't compare, so I'm good to go. When in humility, we say, I'm not content with any and all sin in my life. None of it's good. So that's the prescription. Be humble. All right, simple. Here's, here's the instructions on how to apply. He gives a lot of commands then. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning. Let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. So he gives practical advice on how to, how to apply humility. If we do these things, the humility is going to flow out of us as, as a character of who we are. So he starts by saying... Submit to God. Submit to God. I'm not going to submit to others' will. I'm not, going, I'm not going to submit to the evil one. I'm going to make God my primary focus. That takes a sense of humility because you know that means that, that I might be wrong. How I view a situation might be wrong. So I submit myself to God and let him be God and not a God of self or the God or, or somebody else. I'm going to relinquish, relinquish control to him. That means changing direct, direction and being open to, to asking forgiveness. He says, resist the devil. Stop chasing after selfish pleasures. Stop chasing after selfish desires, but turn to Jesus. To resist Satan, to, to stop trusting the enemy and to trust, trust God. To ask this question, when you, when you have two options, when you're, when you're riding the fence, when, when I can do a lot with my girlfriend or, or, or honor God in my relationship, that I would look at the opportunity before me and say, God, who gets most glory in what I'm about to do? Is, is Satan going to be glorified in, my, in the actions I'm about to take? Or are you? So, so resisting the devil would say, I don't want Satan to get any glory in anything I'm doing, and so I resist him. That's part of, 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 of endlessly growing is turning to Jesus where he, where he goes. He says, draw near to him. Again, think about how beautiful that is. I don't, you don't have to bear all your sin before the world right now. You know you. 
I know me. The fact that God, through James, is asking me to draw near to him. Isn't that beautiful? That a perfectly holy God wants me close. A perfectly holy God does not want me at an arm's length. A perfectly holy God that with immense power and might doesn't want me at a distance. He wants me close to him. And so he says, draw near, draw near to God. He wants that relationship with us, that we get to pursue that daily. That's, again, part of endlessly growing, progressively being more like him. And so he goes and he says, cleanse your hands. Turn to God in forgiveness. Know you're wrong. Cleanse your hands. Turn forgiveness. He's there to offer forgiveness. Praise God for that, which is part of purity. That you and I, as Christians, would live a pure life. And to be pure means, demands this last part, that we're going to treat sin seriously. He says weep and mourn. There's almost like a depression there. There's almost like the sound of like, I I need to look at my wrong and I need to weep and I need to mourn. I need to be grieved over my sin for what, what God, for what I'm doing before God. God's not saying live a life of doom and gloom. That doesn't sound like life, right? Well, I think what he is saying here is don't laugh over your sin. Don't, don't party, party on Saturday night and then wake up, Saturday, Saturday, or wake up the next morning and say, oh, I got, you know what I did last night? That was, it's, no, like, no, that's sad. It's, it's being careful what we watch on TV and, and what we find laughter in. There's some things that we can put before our eyes and, like, certain things that we find that are sinful that we're, all of a sudden, we're laughing over it when, like, no, Jesus died for that. That put Jesus on a cross. And so he, he says, you, we need to weep and we need to mourn over our sin. It's, it's, it's hard to take responsibility for our sin when we're laughing about it. So take ownership of it. You know where I think this applies is he talks about this fighting and quarreling amongst ourselves is let's, let's apply this to relationships. Sometimes we think relational sin is not that big of a deal. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a drug, ad, a drug addict. I don't do these, these types of things. Forgiveness is for everybody, and we all need to own our sin. Sometimes this plays out in relationships. Do you have a tendency to assume the worst in somebody? Assume bad atten- assume intentions, assume their motives are terrible. Isn't that a form of lying? Isn't that a form of lack of love? Isn't that a form of a lack of, a lack of compassion? Isn't that a lack of uh, a sense of evil, a pride that says, the way I view a person's actions must be right, that there's no room for any other, other viewpoint? I've had this play out for me recently where on, on, social, uh, on social media, uh, my, uh, I had somebody say, Jason, you must be pretty prideful. <laughs> you lack humility because all you ever do is you're taking the selfies. Oh, you got a whole bunch of selfies on your shoulder. They're all selfies. And they sent me this message about how proud and prideful I must be because selfie after selfie after selfie. I didn't even respond because what I wanted to say to the person was not pastoral, okay? Because... <laughs> You want to know why I take selfie after selfie? It's because I really want the iPhone 10. And you know, and you know how that plays out into this equation? Is I need to pay down this phone. You know what's happened to this piece of crud phone? Is my front camera's broken. I can only physically take selfies. 
because the front camera is broken and I'm too cheap to pay the $200 to get the insurance phone when in a month I want to trade this in and get a new phone. So I'm trying to be uh, smart with my money, pay this down, suffer through the cruddy phone that I have. And so I take selfies because for three months my front camera has been broken. But somebody looked at my social media and said, you must be a big prideful jerk, Jason. Selfie after selfie. I didn't even respond. But can't, I mean, that, that's all funny and whatnot. I kind of giggled when I got that. But can't that be a sin that should make us grieve and mourn? When we, when we look at somebody and assume the very worst, when perhaps the person's just trying to save a few bucks and has to take three months of selfies. So in our pride, we overlook relational sin as not that bad. And gossip is bad. We're harboring jealousy is bad. In our pride, we, we can think and assume the worst about somebody instead of going directly to that person and just saying, Talk to me about this. In our pride, we're not always positive. In, in our pride, we, 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 we make things about us instead of making things about others. In our pride, we, we, we can talk down somebody and, and chalk it up to, well, I've never murdered anybody. I think Jesus said if you thought it, talk about it, well, you're as good as a murderer. So he, he gives us this final result, though. He says, be humble, but here's, here's the end result. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So the end result, the end result, the big thought for us this morning is, is humility satisfies. This is what I love about this passage, because as I read these 10 verses, I'm like, James, you're kicking me in the pants. This is terrible. Like, think about the silence that is before us right now, the hush over the audience. Like, this is a bummer of a sermon because we're saying we want to lift ourselves up. We have egos, and we want to make life all about us, and we have to be counterintuitive. And what James says is humility satisfies because what happens is when we make life all about Jesus, the end result is accomplished where we stand before God, and he lifts us up, and he one day one might say, well done, good and faithful servant. That if we do it God's way, and we stop riding the fence, but be all in for Jesus, and we, and we have to kill, kill self, kill the sense of ego, and we lift up the name of Jesus, what happens in the end? He lifts us up. Humility, we will find in, in, in our end of days that humility is the most satisfying quality that any one of us could ever possess. Because that is the quality that Jesus lifts up. It's a humble person, I believe, that Jesus is going to say, well done, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. So he brings, the, he brings the proud person low, but what does he do to the humble person? He brings them high. So may our lives be marked by lifting others up. How awesome is our Jesus that he says, live a life about everybody else. And in the end... You'll be in glory with me, and I'll lift you up. Praise God for that, that he is our satisfaction. So when I, when I draw near to him, I remember he is mine. 
Like he is my God, and he, he wants a relationship with me. Yes, humility is satisfying. When I remember that, that when I remember Jesus and I make him a focal point, when I go to him in prayer, I, when I go to him in prayer, I realize that a lot of my needs are no longer needs. They really become wants because humility is satisfying. When I'm content in Jesus, I don't need recognition because humility is satisfying. When I'm content in Jesus, I don't need to always be right. I'm okay with sometimes being wrong. I'm okay with trusting truth because humility is, is satisfying. I'd rather assume the best about somebody than always assume the worst. So I happen to be wrong from time to time. Humility is, is satisfying. So here's our choice before us. When we, when we think about the evil that, that is within us, we can choose to be content in our relationship with Jesus or we can choose contentiousness. We can choose to fight and we can choose to bicker. We can choose to put up a fight or put on faith. We can choose to nurture conflict or nurture contentment. Peace comes out of contentment. And this all helps us stay on mission, to be focused on Jesus. And so here's, here's the challenge I put before you guys. And I hate making these challenges, I'm going to be honest. Because I think through this, I'm like, what, what would be a practical way to apply what we're talking about? Because you know what, because I, I want to lead by example, that's important to me. And so I think of these challenges, and I'm like, okay, when I, when I, when I, before I put them before, I ask myself, do, Jason, do you actually feel like doing this? Because if you're going to ask them, then you better be willing to do it. And so here's, here's my challenge. Here's, here's a humbling act that I'm going to put before us this week is to apologize to somebody. Perhaps you're in the midst of conflict, or perhaps as, we, as we've talked a little bit about conflict, you're remembering past conflict where you've written somebody else off, or you want nothing to do with a person because they've wronged you. Perhaps in that moment, or the current conflict or the old conflict, perhaps, perhaps they're 95% wrong and you're like 5% wrong. Perhaps it's 99 and 1. Whatever it might be, whatever the breakdown is, if you have a small part in that, how humbling would it be to go before a person and say, I need to own my wrong. I'm sorry. I had, I had to do that uh, within the last month where, where I was in a text communication with somebody and we were talking and I, and I said something to be very positive, but I, I embellished the truth on something. It was really it made no difference on really anything. But the next morning, I'm praying, I'm before God, I'm, I'm in this portion of my prayer time where I'm saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I, I want to be more like you. And all of a sudden, he floods me with this thought of, well, you just embellished the truth the night before. How truthful was that? I was like, God, like, it makes no difference. Like, it, didn't, it doesn't change anything. And he's like, but it wasn't completely honest, was it? And I sat there, I'm like, oh, my goodness. That'd be like being 1% wrong. So there I am at like 4.30 in the morning sending two people a text. So I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm praying right now and God has convicted me. And I know you would never even know this, but I, I embellish the truth a little bit. And I just, I, I can't stand before you an honest man if I don't own this. So I owned it. Because I want to be an honest man. I want to be trustworthy. I can't embellish things. Even if it's harmless. So my challenge to us is think about the conflict that perhaps is in your life. Perhaps our, in our prideful nature, we want to make it all about the person that is wronging us. But maybe it's time to say, I need to own a portion of this. That is something that if we all do this, we become attractive. 
if we handle conflict with a sense of peace and a sense of humility, that makes us attractive. That's what made the early church attractive. When we're all on mission, that keeps us on mission. If we're, if we're fighting amongst ourselves, if we're questioning everybody's motives, if we're, if we're questioning all these different things, then, then we're in essence we're riding the fence. When our mission is to relentlessly love Jesus, or to relentlessly love our community, to ignite craving for Jesus. If we're fighting amongst ourselves, that's going to take us off mission. If we're saying, Jesus, hey, God loves you and so do we, but we kind of hate each other. Like, that's never going to attract people to Jesus. When, when, we, when we talk about praying for one, our volunteers have the one down their shirt. Our website is www.wellspring.one. My email is jason at wellspring.one. Unless you have a complaint, then it's ava at wellspring.one. And, uh, and so we end with the dot one because we want before us. We want to always be praying for one because we said, Jesus said, I have, I have sheep. I have 99, but one left. I'm going to seek after the one who is lost. As we're seeking after the one, praying for God, show me one person. Show me one person to share the gospel with. Show me one person. I want to, I want to love this person. If we're conflict, if we're, if we're trying to be riding the fence, friends with the world and friends with God, that will take us off mission. I want to reach more people for Jesus as quickly as possible because he can come back at any moment. We're not going to reach people for Jesus as quickly as possible if we're riding the fence constantly. We need to be all about Jesus or get out the way. A lukewarm Christian, that's what Jesus says. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you're doing damage. You're doing damage. You claim the name of Jesus. You're riding the fence. People are going to look at you and not believe a darn word that you're saying. So here's, here's that come to Jesus moment. Are we serious about this? I want to double in size next week. I won't apologize for it. I want to reach people for Jesus Christ. I want each one of us in this room right now to think about a person you can be praying for that needs Jesus. We're going to live it. We're going to speak it. Do we own that? Do we know people that need Jesus? What are you going to do about it? Perhaps it starts with an apology. Perhaps you know somebody right now that doesn't know the name of Jesus. If you said to them, I want you to come to my church, they're going to look at you and be like, you're inviting me to church? Perhaps it starts with a simple apology. I need to own this. So we're going to go into a time of, of communion. It's appropriate for us to consider apologizing. It's appropriate for us to consider how, how we need to own a wrong. Can you play, uh, show that First Corinthians slide? Whoever therefore eats bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let the person examine himself then. And so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have, have died. But, but if we are judged ourselves truly, we, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are Discipline so that we may not be contempt, condemned along with the world. The aisle hosts are, are passing out cups, and as they do, we're just going to take time to reflect. This is written in the context of unity, that we would examine ourselves, and perhaps an apology needs to be made right in this moment. I've thought ill of somebody, or I've questioned moments, or, or, or I've questioned uh, your motives or whatnot, or, or there is conflict that, you know what, I need to own my piece of the conflict and not care if you ever own your portion. I just need to own it because I need to own it. And so we take this moment to examine ourselves before God. And after, after it's all been passed out, we'll, 
as we're examining, I'll, after that, I'll, I'll pause and we'll take together. There's a flap for the bread and another flap for the juice. Take a moment to reflect. Jesus, thank you for this moment. Jesus, thank you for the ability to reflect. Father, thank you. We've said this a lot during the adulting series as we seek to grow. Father, I thank you for second chances. Father, I thank you for moments of reflection where, Father, that before, before our sin can get the best of us, Father, in, in a moment of reflection, we, we, can, we can nip it in, in the bud, if you will. Father, help us, Father. Perhaps this week, Father, you're going... You're going to work through this. Perhaps in, in a time of communion, you're, you're putting thoughts on our, on our mind on how we can strive for unity, how we can be unified around a mission, how we, can, how we can be unified in our relationships, Father. Father, if there is conflict in this moment, would you show it to us? Would you give us, would you humble us to own our wrong if there, if there is that part where we're quarreling and fighting, Father? Show us the humility to own what we need to own and not, and it, it, and not, not point out other people's wrong all the time, but to own ourselves, own what we need to own, Father. Father, as, as I put this challenge before our people, Father, it starts with me. It starts with me. So, Father, this week, would you show this broken vessel, this broken per person, areas that I need to own. So the people that I pray for, the people that I want to reach for the gospel, wouldn't look at me and think it's a bunch of bull. Father, we need you. Thank you for the reminder that you died for broken people like ourselves. In your name, amen. So on the night that the Lord was betrayed, he, uh, he gave thanks, and then he, he broke the bread, and he said, as often as you get together, eat this bread in, in remembrance of me, and that my body will be broken for you. So let's take the bread and, and eat it together. same way he took the cup, talked about how his blood would be spilt for them. All their wrong, that his, his blood would be spilt and, and cover their sins. He said, as often as you get together, do this in remembrance of me. He says, when you do, you get to proclaim my name until I come. So we're unified around a mission to reach people for Jesus. May we have a sense of peace. May we handle conflict well. May we own all of our sin. Whether it's big or small, it doesn't matter. May 
Here we go. So we're going to end. I'm thankful for this song. We're going to end with, oh, praise the name. Declaring the truth of the gospel through song because Jesus wants to be near to me. And as, as hard as a talk like this is to think about how we've been wrong, Jesus covered it. Jesus paid for it. He has forgiveness. We don't leave, up, we don't leave here beaten up. Our Savior was beaten up for us. He draws us near and wants us. Praise God he wants us. Let's sing. Praise the name.